Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to episode 366 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday, September 4th, and I am joined by a man whose football team won their opener in upset fashion on the road on Saturday, Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. <laughs> there we go, Brad. Bear down, everybody. Go Braves. It's been a uh, it's been a good week for sports. Braves had a good week, and they made up some ground in the standings, and it's kind of crazy. Even the broadcast was talking about this one of the nights this week, how this season has flown by. Like It feels like yesterday we were doing the, the preseason preview podcast and getting ready for that opening week against the Reds and the Nationals, and here we are. There's about a month to go and certainly no shortage of storylines to talk about. Yeah, definitely not. Obviously, it's uh, we're recording this on Labor Day weekend, Sunday evening, uh, Thanks to a, uh, an on-time, as always, rain delay. We were recording a little bit later than expected on the Sunday evening. And uh, spoiler the Braves actually don't play on Labor Day, which I kind of hate. Um, it's maybe good for the timeliness of this podcast, but at the same time, it's just going to be strange to not have a Braves game to discuss and watch on Labor Day. Uh, but alas, here we are, and the Braves have won five games in a row as we record this. They are now within one game of the New York Mets in the National League East for the first time since july 23rd and even then that was a one day stop when they were only a half game back and that was close as they've been all season long so uh they are essentially as close as they've ever been to the division lead they are playing at 101 win pace at this moment for the full season and since the start of june famously the braves are 61 and 24 which is a 116 win, 116 win pace. Uh, Scott, I'm going to tell you this. It's it's pretty good to win at that kind of pace over mm-hmm. an 85-game sample size. Obviously, it's an arbitrary endpoint on some level, but they have been playing extremely well really all season, but especially since June 1st. Yeah, they've been killing it. And we even talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but I think because the Braves have not been in first place, I think this crazy run that they are on is being overlooked nationally. Um, they oh, yeah. have the best record in baseball since June 1st by a couple of games. Like the Dodgers just went on a 41 and nine run over 50 games. And it was on the front page of MLB.com. It was on the front page of ESPN.com. It, it kind of caught on with some traction. And, and again, we always kind of mocked and made fun of the year the Nationals won the World Series in 2019. Like every day their Twitter account would say, oh, we've been the best best record in the league since May 26th. Uh, as much as we laughed at it, we know that that season ended very well for Washington. And 
Um, you know, again, it's, it's been a weird dynamic just being in second place for basically the entire season. Uh, but make no mistake about it. This is just a stacked Braves team. Uh, we'll see where everything winds up in the month at the end of the regular season. Uh, but they're just, I mean, they are on quite the roll and have been for more than three months now. Yeah, we'll talk about more of the broad strokes a little bit later in the episode. But uh, just to kind of cap off that little uh, tidbit since June 1st, the Braves also lead all of baseball in runs scored since June 1st. And I believe they are, uh, yeah, they're third best in runs allowed since June 1st. So if you're top three in all of Major League Baseball, not just the NL, just, that's that's all of baseball, top three in runs scored and runs allowed, uh, that's usually a pretty good uh, recipe for success. And they've done that over a very large sample size at this point in time. So um, clearly it was a positive week for Atlanta. We'll get into all of the games as always. Then later on in the episode, the latest news and a little bit of a look ahead to uh, what's coming up on the horizon because, uh, you know, every game matters right now with the Braves within one game of the Mets and uh, like you said kind of flying under the radar still but not not locally I think we all kind of understand that they're really good but uh, hopefully that will be uh, translating into a first place appearance at some point along the way here Um, the one and only down part of the week was at the beginning of the week so Eric and I talked uh, last week on this podcast and we were there Hawks uh, sorry the Hawks the Braves were in the middle of a downturn and they lost on Tuesday and honestly, there's a little bit of, you know, frustration, mildly so, because, and this is sort of my corner of the internet, the Braves were their biggest betting favorite of the entire season on Tuesday. Even with Ronald Acuna still out, uh, they lost at home to the Rockies as, again, the biggest betting favorite they've been all year long. Now, obviously, it's baseball. Anything can happen, and you're never that big of a favorite. But uh, anytime you are supposed to win, uh, like at, at, at sort of a high percentage of the time, and you're in the middle of a losing streak with your best pitcher on the mound and Max Free, who wasn't even bad in that game on Tuesday. And uh, by the way, they were they were also winning. They're up two nothing in the third inning. Um, yeah, just kind of a weird night at the office. It feels like it's a long time ago now, but they were. That was one that was kind of a as bad of a loss on paper as you can have because literally they were the biggest favorite they've been all season long, and they didn't win. So there you go. Yeah, very on brand for baseball. Right. Yes. <laughs> that you have a huge advantage. Max Freed against Jose Urania, who has been bad uh, for Very a couple bad. of couple yep. years now. Actually, I wasn't able to watch much of this game. I was driving. Um, it was probably a good thing I wasn't able to watch uh, too much just for the old blood pressure. But uh, as we know, thankfully, that was the one and only loss the team had this week. It was their third straight overall loss. Uh, after that frustrating St. Louis series, and it was like, okay, here we go. Let's not, you know, it's September now. Let's not start this late season swoon. Um, and thankfully, they they picked up the pieces nicely against, very weirdly, I, I don't know if you caught this, Brad, the uh, Colorado Rockies have been historically a bad road team the couple, last couple of years. But for whatever reason, they play some of their best baseball all year at Truist Park, which... <laughs> Makes no sense because the Braves have been very good for a few years now. The Rockies have decidedly not been very good for a few years now. And for whatever reason, they like playing in Atlanta. Uh, But that was a a tough loss on Tuesday. But as we know, the rest of the week went quite well. Yeah, that was their only loss of the week. So they've won every game since then. And um, it was kind of funny. Just like I was thinking they were like a minus 350 or something like that favor on Tuesday. And then they went up to nothing. I was trying to find the live data and couldn't find it. I bet they were a minus 600 favorite up two yeah. runs. Yeah, uh, something which like is, that, which is for like... our non-betting folks. That's <laughs> crazy. Like, yeah, that, that's that is uh, Buffalo Bills at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Crazy. I mean, that, yeah. that's huge odds. Anyway, uh, we'll leave that one in the past and talk about the wins now. Um, 
Wednesday was an interesting game. Ronald Acuna returned for the first time since the previous Friday. He had a home run. Um, I, I know you saw this by now. People who probably listen to this podcast probably saw the comments on the video, and it was much different than the actual quote kind of seems. But what did you make of Ronnie kind of stone face referring to his knee as feeling terrible and then kind of laughing about that afterwards? But uh, it was sort of followed up by him DHing three times over the weekend. And I, uh, it's kind of got everybody wondering like just how bad the knee is. Not that he's um, in danger right now, just like missing a bunch of time, but I kind of thought he's, that he should be DH, DHing more throughout the season. And he kind of hasn't been doing that. And then suddenly he DH three games in a row, uh, which is notable to me after that kind of dust up. So did you have any reaction to those comments and kind of how they were framed, how they reacted to on Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, it's not great anytime you're one of your franchise stars says that his surgically repaired knee is terrible. Um, talking to or, or reading what uh, medical professionals on Twitter and elsewhere have said, I think this is probably to be expected uh, for somebody in his, his circumstance. A little bit more than a year, of course, removed from the ACL surgery. Um, but uh, thankfully, with the benefit of the DH, you can give him and his knee a little bit of a breather um, because it's clear his knee is is nowhere near 100%. Even if structurally it's sound, and that is, of course, the most important thing, I mean, Ronald can barely run. There was a moment, I forget which game over the week, but he had to uh, not not go full speed on a double, but run a little bit for a double, and he was gimping the entire way. And for a player who before the surgery was truly one of the fastest people in the entire sport, uh, it hurts your heart a little bit to watch Ronald have to gimp out there a little. But um, again, I I think you just have to be thankful that he is feeling well enough to be able to play most nights. And if you have to DH him, uh, quite obviously, this lineup is just so much better with Ronald out there. You would love to have him in right field as well, but especially as we're into games you know, 130, 140, 150 in the season. Uh, if you have to give him a breather, especially if you can just DH him, um, I'm all for it. But yeah, anytime, anytime a player just flat out says it feels terrible, it uh, it's going to raise some eyebrows. Yeah, Demetrius wrote about the comparison between Ronnie's knee and Freddie's wrist from a few years ago, the wet, the wet newspaper comments, and it's kind of interesting, and that was a good piece from Demetrius that I recommend people reading on, uh, on BetteryPower.com. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we don't know how bad it is. It doesn't look great at this point in time. Uh, I, I, say, I say all that. I think that they won't play him if it's if they're worried about long-term damage. They're not going to be reckless with Ronald Acuna. Maybe that's part of the DHing plan at this point in time. Of course, the downside, and we'll come back to this later on, I'm sure, is that they don't really have the outfield set up right now to ideally DH Ronald as much as he has been over the weekend. So that's that's a question as they go down the stretch here. They do have a light week on the horizon, which is maybe helpful. A couple of off days there to maybe give him some time off. But um, yeah, if he's got a DH more, that's just it creates some other concerns. But still, like you said, they're so much better with him on the lineup, no matter what, that uh, it is worth pointing that out as well. They did win the game on Wednesday beyond the homer by Acuna. Riley hit one as well, his uh, 32nd of the season at that point. He had a good week as well at the plate. And then your guy, Kyle Wright, um, I believe still as of this moment, is the uh, baseball wins leader with 17 wins. Uh, that doesn't really matter to me, but uh, the 2.85 ERA does matter to me. The seven scoreless innings on Wednesday does matter to me. And uh, I don't want to tell you to take a victory lap, but every time he pitches well, I think about you, Scott. I got to be honest. Huh. Thank you. It's nice to be loved. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's not the wins number is kind of silly with like, again, Tyler Matzik over the weekend got a win for throwing one pitch, which 
kind of showcases how silly the statistic can be. But um, man, you're talking about somebody who has a very real chance to win 20 games in a baseball season, Um, especially in this modern era. There are so few starting pitchers who win 20 games. You mentioned the ERA is very good. His underlying metrics have been really strong. He had a couple of starts there in the middle of the year. Uh, of course, he had the tired arm in Boston and missed a start. Uh, he was a little shaky there in, in the middle going in maybe July and even the early August. But recently, Kyle has been on fire. Um, and it's kind of crazy. And this is going to be a professional tease to what Spencer Strider did the following night. But it's kind of crazy that this this emerging frontline starter with 17 wins and an ERA below three is like third or maybe even fourth on his own team's rotation in the pecking order. Um, I think it speaks to the depth. It's not a coincidence that as the Braves have gone on this crazy run, uh, for the most part, uh, the big four starters have been oh so good. And then the fifth starter has been a little up and down. But when you have four top end starting pitchers throwing as well as, as Freed, Strider, Wright, and Morton are, um, it's going to win you a lot of games and, and also prevent you from losing too many games in a row. Yeah. Right. Um, in his last 11 starts is a 2.45 ERA to your point there. And I think, yeah, he only has one, I mean, anything close to a bat start in the last 11 starts, which is uh, very, very solid. Uh, he's been really good all year long. And I agree with your point uh, wholeheartedly on that. There was a little bit of Kenley Jansen drama on Wednesday, which we'll come back to later on, because that was unfortunately not the only drama from Kenley this week. But uh, your, t- your tradition to Strider is appropriate because he was, um, in a word, preposterous on Thursday in route to a 3 nothing win. It was a record-setting performance from Strider. Uh, he was absolutely insane in that start. Uh, two hits allowed in eight innings is impressive enough in shutout, in shutout fashion, but 16 strikeouts is the headliner for Strider. It's the Atlanta Braves era record. Uh, so basically the last, you know, 50 plus years in Atlanta um, for strikeouts in a single performance, only a 30th game in the history of baseball with 16 strikeouts and no walks. And uh, I know, you know, this Scott, but for listeners, like that may not sound impressive, but I cannot explain to you how many games there have been in baseball history. <laughs> so <laughs> to only have that, have that, have that happen 30 times in the history of baseball um, is that's actually extremely, extremely, extremely impressive, even though it doesn't maybe sound like that. And we can get into his like full season performance as well, but man, he was untouchable. And yes, the Rockies are bad offensively. That is at least worth mentioning in here, but uh, you don't, you don't fake what he did there. Obviously that the upside is what it is, but he was, uh, he was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was an all time performance. Like you think about, I think Kerry Wood struck out, was it 20 batters? 20, yeah. And I believe he was a rookie um, or maybe it was early in his career. Either way, uh, you know, you always hear about that start and, and deservingly so, but uh, you talk about just a flat out full on dominating performance, uh, 16 strikeouts and no walks is absurd. Uh, he had full command of both the fastball and the slider. And as folks know, when his fastball is peppering upper nineties and then he works in a slider that looks like a fastball and then just takes a hard left turn. I I don't know what you do. I mean, apparently you strike out 16 times because there's nothing you really can do there. Um, Strider. I mean, even again, he, he didn't join the rotation until the end of May, but he should probably get some, some Cy Young recognition, which is crazy to think about. But if you look at a, a leaderboard and we'll talk about his season ranks, especially after his, his really great performance. Um, he, he is as dominant as 
basically anybody in the major leagues. Um, it's just, it's crazy, man. There, there was a good debate on Thursday night as well before Strider uh, went absolutely berserk about who was the front runner for rookie of the year. Was it Strider or was it Michael Harris? Um, I, I think Strider has the advantage, especially after a, a historic performance. But um, I think, again, it's it's similar to Kyle Wright. He's almost overlooked a little bit because he's in such a good rotation and there's so much star power on this roster. Uh, you just you can't say enough good things about the kid. For sure. We'll, we're not going to do the entire rookie of the year discussion, but it is wild because Harris, uh, you know, had a good game on Thursday and uh, also has a 12 game, hit, 12 game hitting streak. He had three hits today. Like the fact that Michael Harris is not the runaway rookie of the year speaks to Strider and how incredible he is. And by the way, it is a two man race. There is no one else in the stratosphere of those two guys. So um, at this point, I can't imagine a scenario where anybody else wins it in the National League. So it's uh, kind of nice to just have a Brave-centric um, National League awards race. But as for Strider, I mean, yeah, I think the Cy Young thing, I don't think he's going to get a, gonna get a lot of votes because of the lack of workload. But in terms of like, you could certainly argue on a per-start basis since he became a starter, he's been the best starter in the National League. Like, it's, it's not crazy. He has the best um, supporting profile. Like, he doesn't have the best ERA, but he has the best FIP in the National League. Right now, if you go to a, a minimum of like 100 innings, it's uh, by a lot, actually. He has the best XPIP in the National League. Like, it is pretty insane how good his numbers are. Strikeout right leads the, leads the majors, which is wild by, for if you kind of lower the, the threshold. He doesn't quite qualify on like the traditional leaderboard because of, of the inning stuff, as we mentioned before. But really, he's been uh, kind of untouchably good across the board here. And yeah, I don't even know how you even talk about it. There's the, the old school debate about like how much – uh, how much better a pitcher has to be than a position player to win an MVP or rookie of the year award because they just pitch a lot less. But man, he has been conservatively a top 10 pitcher in baseball on a per start basis, probably better than that this year, which is just insane to even say out loud, but it really is true. I'm not saying he's that he's that moving forward for sure, but in terms of like what he's actually done and even the supporting numbers are even better than that. Like it's, I mean, just for reference, he's striking out almost 14 batters per nine with less than three walks per nine. Uh, his home run rate is very, very low. His ERA is 2.67. Uh, his FIP is 1.84. <laughs> like it is uh wild. He's uh, currently, um, yeah, he's, he's number five in the National League updated for through today in Fangraph's war for pitchers. And again, he has a lot less innings than a lot of these guys. And he is number five in the National League. The only guys who are in front of him as pitchers are Aaron Nola, Carlos Rodon, his uh, his teammate Max Freed, and Sandy Alcantara, who the Braves beat up on later in the week. So, like, that tells you all you need to know. Even with a very limited sample size compared to other starters, he is a top five starter in the National League this year by the numbers. Wild stuff. Yeah, it's – I mean, you talk about how dominant he has been. Uh, in his last five starts – and keep in mind, um, two of these were against the Mets, and one was against Houston, and one was against St. Louis. So you're talking about three of maybe the top seven or eight lineups in the entire league. He gave up four runs in his first start in New York, and that was the kind of fluky one where they had a bunch of infield singles and bloops and doinks. But in the four starts since then, he went five innings, gave up one run against the Mets, went six innings, gave up one run to the Astros, went six innings, gave up one run to the Cardinals, and then went eight innings and gave up no runs to the Rockies. So you're talking about a kid who has given up three runs in his last four starts across 25 innings. 
uh, that is incredible. And I think we and a lot of folks questioned how Spencer was going to hold up in the second half of the season as somebody who has never done this before. Uh, he's almost getting better by the start. <laughs> like he's almost yeah. getting stronger, which is absurd for a, a kid who throws as hard as him. Um, I, you know, I know he, uh, there's been some some reporting on how he has a very, very strict diet. He is in phenomenal shape. So maybe he is not wearing down as a traditional pitcher would. But man, like you're talking about someone who is throwing his best baseball all season. He was good before the month of August. And here he is now. And, and as we said, we, we could probably talk 20 minutes and even debate about who the rookie of the year is. Uh, but he has been incredible. And, and that game on Thursday night was something to watch. Yeah, I think our our biggest question wasn't one of performance because I know all three of us at different times were kind of wondering why he wasn't already starting earlier uh, in the uh, in, in the season when he was at, when he was in the bullpen. We were like, why is he starting? We were kind of calling for it weeks before it actually happened. And the only concern we had is one that's just very logical of like he's not he's never thrown this many innings. And as you get deeper and deeper in the season, like it was kind of logical to have an innings cap of some of some sort. They've never said that he, that he has one. Maybe they'll be careful with him at some point in time. But it's really, really, really hard to get away from him now. He's been so good that, yeah, even with these stuff that would obviously play up in a smaller role in a way that maybe other guys wouldn't. He's been so good as a starter. Like you kind of just have to roll with it and see what happens because uh, it's been a monster run for Strider. So we can stop with the Strider love fest, but it's, uh, I think he's earned it. And Thursday was just ridiculous. So I want to leave it there for now, but that was, it was a lot of fun. All right, before we get to the Marlins series and we have more to talk about there as well as the latest news. And again, a look ahead at the one game deficit as we record in the national league East, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. All right, Scott, we can dive back into what became a sweep over the weekend over the Marlins. Uh, Friday's game was the uh, was the blowout in terms of like I know they won kind of lopsided fashion on Sunday, but it was a pretty close game for most of Sunday until later on. But Friday was a, a blowout, which was unexpected because they were facing Sandy Alcantara, who's had a Cy Young caliber season for the Marlins. Like he's very very good. Um, you could certainly say he's maybe not quite as good as his numbers were, but the Braves had five homers off of him. Uh, it was a pretty wild performance. It was definitely his worst start of the season. I think he allowed six, six run runs, which for the first time all year long, the Braves teed off. It was Darno twice. It was Juan Grissom. It was Michael Harris. And then Riley again. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't I wasn't expecting that. Obviously the Braves are still favored against the Marlins, even with Alcantara on the mound at home, but they, I did not predict six runs against Alcantara. Obviously they're capable of that, but I was not seeing that coming necessarily. Yeah, I think it just speaks to, and we saw this firsthand during the World Series run last year, is sure, this team is going to strike out. Maybe there's a couple of nights where the offense just doesn't show up, but the ability to break a game wide open with the one through nine power that this lineup has, everybody can homer. Everybody has, what, legitimate 20-plus home run upside in this lineup right now. Um, it's really difficult to string together three, four, five singles or even doubles in a row against a premium pitcher in Sandy Alcantara. Uh, so to, to hit five home runs, it was the Apple TV broadcast. It seemed like the ball was really flying on Friday night. Uh, maybe it was the weather. Maybe uh, Major League Baseball flipped in a couple of those 2019 gopher balls. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. As you noted, it was kind of the the one game as bad as the Marlins have been, and they are really bad. Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of like the one 
came in the series were like, okay, you know, you don't want to give up too many here because of how Contra has his A1 stuff. It's going to be tough to score more than a run or two. And again, as we saw this lineup, Darno, Grissom, Harris, Riley, um, just four big time power bats. And again, just speaks to the depth in this lineup. It does. Um, Morton was so Morton was solid on Friday. That was enough to win. The bullpen pitched very well. Um, we're not going to do the whole thing again because you and I did this two weeks ago. Marcelo Zuna did not play for 11 days, and then he came back in the lineup on Friday, and he started all three games over the weekend in left field. Um, we, we talked about all of the factors as to why that might be happening. Um, Bryce Sicker gave a pretty interesting quote about him working hard and being part of the club. Uh, you know, it's not Snitzer's decision if he's on the roster or not, so it's tough to blame Snit, even though he's kind of the face of this thing. You and I expressed our thoughts on this. We, we kind of wish he wasn't playing. Um, I will say he was a little bit a little bit better at the plate over the weekend. That's a small sample size, but um, it basically comes down to if you're going to DH Ronnie right now, which is what they did, um, the options are limited, and you're basically either starting Rosario and Grossman together in the corners, or you're starting Ozuna in, in a corner. Uh, and, you know, with Rosario's uh, hamstring stuff, Grossman's been struggling a little bit. You could certainly make the argument baseball wise for maybe starting Ozuna. I still don't like it, but uh, here we are. And he played three days in a row. So it seems like they're not going to just go a man down. Like there was a brief moment this week when I personally thought they might just roll a man down, basically, because the roster's expanded and they can more afford to do that now. But uh, almost as soon as that happened in, in September, they started playing Ozuna again. So who knows? Yeah, I was a little surprised, um, as you said. You and I and Eric have have talked about Ozuna ad nauseum. And um, yeah, like you said, he did have a couple of hits, including a home run over the weekend. So that's good from an obviously from an on field perspective. And I think everybody has formed their opinion already of their off field opinion of Marcel. And um, in other news, uh, (laughs) Charlie Morton had a pretty good start. Yes. No, I mean, I, we we don't have, we don't have to do the Azuna thing again. It's just worth noting he did he played he played all three days, and I wonder how much he will play moving forward. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I think maybe it'll be tied to a, a couple of different things between Ronnie's DH pattern. Also, as we'll discuss in a moment, Ozzy Albies is getting closer, which means maybe Von Grissom plays in outfield. We'll touch on that later on, but uh, at the moment, it's no longer a surprise when Azuna plays. It was on Friday, but by the time you play three days in a row, it's no longer surprising. So uh, we'll just kind of have to roll with this as it goes, and we uh, we've all express our thoughts so we'll, we'll leave it there for now um saturday was the one close game of the week weekend i should say they got a 2-1 win over the marlins they were actually they scratched jaco to with arm fatigue it was the exact same description they used for kyle wright a few weeks ago so i'm wondering if that's just like what they're going to default to to skip a guy now in the rotation because everything was pretty positive from the leaks from what snicker said they said flat out he's expected to start against seattle this week so it wasn't like they were concerned about it at all and i will say uh uh, Twitterless, Twitterless Ivan, Ivan from Battery Power mentioned that Odorizzi threw his fastball a lot more than usual in his last start, which maybe contributed to some of this stuff. What's well, all speculation? We don't really know, but it feels like that wasn't really a concern. And they called up Bryce Elder, who actually pitched quite well. Did you uh, have any takeaway from Odorizzi being uh, being skipped? It's kind of, I'm I'm not saying that that definitely did that, but it definitely feels to me like it was just like, all right, Jake, have another four days off. Yeah, this is the time of year to give pitchers especially a little bit of a breather and as you noted Bryce Elder pitched really well on Saturday night and he had that awesome start down in Miami I think it was two or three weeks ago now Um, so you know we've talked about the depth and the need to have more than just five starting pitchers to navigate a season Um, you know as we have noted the Marlins lineup is very bad like it's 
it's like legitimately looks like a triple a lineup with a couple of big leaguers sprinkled in and even the big leaguers don't hit all that well um but for bryce to come up throw six scoreless on saturday um that that provided a big lift and uh there was not you know there was not much offense at all to be found anywhere and if you know, if Elder comes up and gives up a handful of runs, the Braves probably lose on Saturday. Um, those are games that you, of course, want to win as you try to uh, overtake the Mets in the division. Uh, so, yeah, good on Bryce Elder for sticking with it. He had some some tough starts earlier in the year. Um, but, you know, to use Alex Anthopoulos' line, once you're on that 40-man roster, you are in the mix. Um, and for him to come in and, and uh, do his job uh, kind of suddenly was was really big. Yeah, and if people were asking why maybe it wasn't going to be Kyle Muller, he was not available. He pitched Wednesday, so they kind of had to go to Elder, who looked fine. I mean, we were uh, lower on him earlier this season when he kind of looked very, very hittable, but he looked like he looks a lot cleaner the last couple starts. And, uh, you know, having that reliable six, seven, eight in uh, sort of in Gwinnett and close by is very, very useful. And they needed it in that, in that start. And he, he had to pitch well to win the game, and they won the game because he pitched well. Um, beyond that, Riley hits a home run for four straight games. He has now obviously been great all year long, but he's back and rolling. Um, but the big other thing from from Saturday, I should say, is the Kenley Jansen mess that he made in the ninth inning. Um, our friend Stephen Tolbert uh, kind of pointed out his numbers, like how much different they are from the first half to the second half. And uh, more specifically, by the way, his last four outings, he only has one strikeout and four walks and five earned runs. And he looked bad in all four. Uh, at least to varying degrees. Um, he made a mess of it, allowed the tying run. And then there was a very bizarre umpire delay. Um, not that it was anybody's fault. Uh, umpire got legitimately banged up behind the plate, but it was like a, I don't know, 15 minute. It was very long uh, to the point where they actually ended up pulling Jansen to go to, to go to Tyler Matzik, who threw one pitch. Uh, I was, it was actually a pretty well hit ball to the outfield, but it was, it was caught and they ended up winning the game after that on a, uh, bad pitching uh, sequence by the, by the Marlins, but going back to Kenley, like, I don't know, man, I don't feel good with Kenley on the mound right now. Uh, that's just anecdotal. Obviously the numbers don't necessarily uh, scare you too much for the full season, but the uh, recent numbers are not very good. And especially for a team that a has another high priced, cl- literally closer uh, paid guy in Iglesias that they just traded for on the roster. Plus everybody else, you would think there'd be a short leash, but uh, as we all know from the Will Smith era, Snicker has a very long leash for his highly paid veteran closer. And I think they're going to keep going with Kenley if I had to guess, but man, it's a little bit shaky right now to be sure. Yeah. I saw on Saturday night, somebody tweeted that uh, before Will Smith was traded, he must've like sneezed on Kenley and gave <laughs> him the uh, ninth inning Will Smith blues because uh, yeah, his, his numbers, Kenley has, decidedly fallen off pretty badly in the second half i agree wholeheartedly with you i i have no real confidence i think it's three or maybe even four really bad appearances in a row uh kenley has only struck out one of the last 20 batters that he has faced uh and and it's it's the command he was somebody who when he was right uh he just doesn't walk all that many batters and i mean we saw the horrendous game in St. Louis where he couldn't throw throw it over the plate at all. Um, even earlier in the week, he he was nowhere near the plate and got bailed out by C.B. Buckner uh, in the ninth inning after oh, giving yeah. up a two-run home run. I mean, it's it's not pretty. Um, I Kenley talked either after the game last night or Saturday night or before Sunday's game, and 
he said his mechanics and his delivery were out of whack. And that's something I think that can uh, quite obviously happen. And when you are, he's a big dude. Like Kenley Jansen is every bit of six, seven and 290 pounds. He is huge. Um, He is huge. He's a big dude. He is getting a little bit older. Um, You know, I, I, it kind of makes sense as to it's a long season. He might be wearing down a little bit. And I don't need to tell listeners that if a pitcher's mechanics and delivery are out of whack, it's going to cause problems. Um, as you noted, I think unless this continues for a couple more appearances, I think he will remain the primary ninth inning option. I will say it's it was probably going to be a uh, a very forward-thinking move by Alex Anthopoulos when it's all said and done that he went out and made that move for Iglesias because, as we know in the postseason, it's such a slim margin of error and you can never have too many power arms in the bullpen. Uh, But if you're the Braves, I think you just have to hope that Kenley finds himself a little bit. Hopefully you can give him a little bit of time off. Maybe he can get some extra work in in bullpen sessions instead of coming in and trying to figure things out in one-run games. Uh, because clearly, I, I I don't think anybody has any kind of confidence in him right now. No, it's it's not it's not looking good, and uh, you know we, we try not to be too much on the on the feel eye test side, but uh, when it matches up with the numbers, and um, you know I kind of pride myself on not panicking on relievers and kind of just not being the too high, too low game. I understand race fans reactions though like he's he's looked very bad on top of everything else so we'll see but this is a guy who has a long record of being of being good and i think that snicker for better or worse uh has uh, kind of what he does he's going to roll with it until he can't roll with it anymore um just as a reminder will smith basically never lost the role like he was always there um i guess there were little there were small pockets when it wasn't like quite as uh, as clear cut but uh yeah i think that having a glacis really helps but uh, even in the middle of these outings, it was like, is he going to get anybody up? I was at least encouraged that they got Matzik up in the bullpen on Saturday night. Um, pre-delay even, Matzik was already up and warming. So that was at least kind of encouraging. They were like at least prepared for Jan- for Jansen being a little bit uh, off the rails. But uh, we'll see. It, it did not look good on Saturday. Um, after that, last game, of course, of the week was the fifth straight win. 7-1 today on Sunday. Uh, rain delay in the fifth. Um, Max Fried had a no-hitter going when the rain delay began i can already hear graves facebook furious that he got pulled after uh, after the rain oh, delay um it was too, it was yeah. way too long of a rain delay just for the record it was way too long of a rain delay to put him back out there in the middle of a pennant race and uh just i don't i don't think max was going to have the pitch count either he was at 66 pitches through five innings i think he was probably going to have to go beyond where he wanted to go to keep the no hitter in addition to everything else. So I'm not really worried about that. He looked great. Um, they got a double play in the rain. It was kind of funny. You and I were talking about this, trying to play in the podcast and we're like, are they going to play this game? And you could tell the Braves dugout was overjoyed when they got out of the inning and it became an official game. Max got a double play right, right before the rain uh, got even worse. And they kind of ended up halting play. We thought it was at least on the table. They ended up playing it out. Obviously they extended the lead, but not a whole lot to get into of the game. Like Freed looked good. Bullpen looked good. Michael Harris had three hits. Uh, that's that's all I got. Other than Michael Harris got uh, got caught stealing. Scott Michael Harris is uh, I, I guess kind of human on some level. He's he's not gonna be perfect at stealing bases for his entire career. That's all I got. Yeah, that uh, that real blemish on his twenty one year old on pace for like seven WAR over a full season uh, season that Michael Harris is having. Um, it does segue us into. I think probably the biggest Braves news of the last like 20 years, Uh uh, Jesse Chavez is back. He is back, baby. 
better than ever and uh, appeared in Sunday's game. I know we have him on our notes here to talk about um, kind of an, an interesting uh, path back to Atlanta, but he looked really good in his two innings of relief of Freed, and uh, it's it's really good to have Jesse Chavez back. Yeah, there's actually a rule in the CBA where he could only be good with the Braves. Um, he has been basically terrible that. everywhere else. He was terrible with the Angels. He was not good with the Cubs or the Rangers, but every time he's in the Braves uniform, he pitches well. He pitched well again, like you just said, on Sunday. Um, and it was also kind of amusing. Like, he got traded for Iglesias, who's like a top 10 closer in baseball. Obviously, it was for money reasons for the Angels, but that was the, enti- that was the entire return for Los Angeles. And then they waived him, what, a month later, four weeks later? Yeah, um, yeah. they got Tucker Davidson out of it too, though. Oh, yeah, that's right. Tucker is is having a tough goal of it out in Anaheim, but everybody has a tough goal of that out in Anaheim these days. So I don't. Yeah, know. I mean, more more seriously, everybody loves Chavez. Uh, we don't know if he'll be a factor, but obviously gives them great depth in September. A guy they trust. Um, he has been a, a prime performer for them uh, in mostly low leverage stuff, but he was a pretty crucial part of the bullpen last year. And we'll see. Uh, obviously, you don't want to have to use him a ton. But uh, they trust him. He's a vet, and everybody seems to love the guy. So uh, a nice little addition for the cost of nothing, basically, in uh, in September. Um, to that end, actually, the roster is expanded. Um, having him sort of allows you to carry Chavez for no no cost, really. Um, Arcia is back. Um, that was a, uh, a welcome addition. I think that basically that ensures, in my mind, that Adrianza won't be on the playoff roster. Um, they haven't, made it, they haven't had to make, make that decision just yet, but I think there's only room for one of them. In the Von Grissom era, there's only one room for room for one of Arcia or Adrianza. And as much as I am not the biggest Arcia guy, he is better than Adrianza. So uh, that's my guess on that one. And then the big thing beyond that is just the Aussie domino. So he started his rehab assignment this week on Thursday in Gwinnett. He also, according to our uh, our pal Chris Willis, who was in the building, um, took BP and infield both at Truist on Saturday before the game. Um, so he's been, he's getting closer. I'm not sure how quickly Ozzy will be back, but I'm sure it'll be in the next week or two. Um, and also just to add on here, before we get into this topic, which is obviously looming over everything with Ozzy, number one, it's great to have Ozzy close because Ozzy is a you know perennial standout player. But also uh, there was some, let's just say some, ca- some captured, photographed, uh, maybe even videoed outfield work for both Vaughn Grissom and William Contreras in the last few days. Obviously, Contreras has briefly played there already in his career and just as a way to get him in the lineup. I think that's just more of a uh, failsafe because I don't think they wanted to play outfield. But uh, clearly, Vaughn Grissom has been a popular conversation topic for a while as a potential left field option. Uh, it was also discussed at length between Chris and Steven on the podcast earlier this week on the same podcast network. But uh, we can leave it alone like in terms of like the full like half hour breakdown of Vaughn Grissom. But uh, let's just say the Aussie coming back thing does impact other people and uh, most notably Vaughn Grissom. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's going to be really, really difficult to take Vaughn out of the lineup just based on what he has done over the last month. Um, Ozzy Albies is going to play most days. I I would imagine maybe after a full week in Gwinnett that once he's back, he will be in the lineup most days, maybe not every single day as they bring him back from the foot injury, but uh, again, whether Ozzy is at second base or they could also DH him, which I think is something we might see a little bit of as he distances himself from surgery. Um, you have Ozzy Albies who you're going to want to play. You you absolutely want Von Grissom in the lineup, assuming 
Uh, you know, the clock doesn't strike midnight with him being just a young rookie. We, we don't know that. I don't expect it, but it's it's worth noting as good as he has been. Uh, rookies have their ups and downs. Um, and, and then you mentioned left field. It's going to be a very interesting decision. Um, the idea of a left fielder in Von Grissom in this example who has never really played left field in his entire life being your outfielder in a must win game or even a postseason scenario is a little terrifying to me. I mean, he's a really good athlete, so I would have some trust, I think in that essence. But again, there's just things that outfielders have ingrained in their brains from experience and hundreds, if not thousands of repetitions out there. And, uh, we'll see how it all plays out. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a problem because uh, you're talking about having so many good players that you're trying to find a spot for all of them. Uh, but it it is probably for me the biggest on field story in September is is what kind of impact does Albies have when he returns, and then of course what what happens with Von Grissom, who has been just so good since coming up. Yeah, it's it's clearly um, the best kind of problem imaginable, and that it's not a problem. But yes, I, I agree with you. It's it's the one obvious story. If everybody is healthy, um, they're just uh, there's a decision or two to be made there. Uh, Vaughn has cooled off recently. I think yeah, he's six of thirty seven in the last thir- last ten games. It's a ten game sample size, nothing to panic about. But I don't think he was gonna likely just continue to just like play at an MVP level like he was for the first three or four weeks. So we'll see where his true level is. I think our minor league guys, I trust and like everyone believes he's gonna hit on some level. But he's not been just tearing the cover off the ball the last I don't know week and a half two weeks. Um, that, which might make it a little bit easier to pull my lineup, but I, I tend to agree with you. Like they're going to want to play him still. Ozzy's not going to play every single day immediately. The DH spot again becomes interesting because if they want to have Ronnie DH, that takes another guy out of that um, equation in terms of playing Albies there uh, or even Vaughn there. I think that he, I mean, I, we're all kind of guessing till he does it, but left field is a place where players like Ryan Klesko and Evan Gaddis have functioned in the recent past um uh i can't i cannot imagine a scenario where vaughn grissom is unplayably bad in left field um you know maybe he's not good right away he's never i mean he's not that's it's a new new spot for him but uh the braves just played marcelo zuner there three days in a row so i I, you know what i mean like i'm not saying that's the only bar to clear but if vaughn grissom continues to hit it all and he's a really athletic guy i just can't imagine him being like outwardly bad in left maybe there'll be some mistakes that you don't love out there but um if they need to go ahead and do that it won't be a problem and listen like we, we won't do the whole thing now but um it is safe to say that both eddie rosario and robbie grossman have not been hitting the cover off the ball so like that's one of the considerations too is that right now outside of Ronald acuna who may you may want to limit a little bit defensively right now because of his knee your three corner outfielders are marcelo zuna eddie rosario and robbie grossman like that's not great like those guys are not playing super duper well right now. Like I think ideally the whole idea would be that Grossman and Rosario form a single platoon to play, but that, that assumes Ronnie's playing right field every night. <laughs> and uh, right now he's not doing that. So it's uh it's, it, there's a lot of moving parts. And I, I think that they're going to get Grossman in the lineup somewhere, but um I, I am certainly on board with him at least trying his handle. Yeah. And the time to do it is probably in September is as soon as Alves comes back, (laughs) as soon as that happens. yeah. And especially, no, I was going to say, and you look at the September schedule, they have this upcoming West Coast road trip, which will will be a bit of a challenge. Um, But after that, it is almost exclusively 
um, NL East teams. Um, and you know, that the, the time for Vaughn to play some left field is against the nationals or against the Marlins when you're at home and you are heavy, heavy, heavy favorites. Maybe you pull him in the seventh or eighth inning. If you have a lead and put uh, Guillermo or even Robbie Grossman, I think is a pretty solid outfielder. Uh, maybe you don't have him standing out there if it's a one run game in the top of the ninth. Uh, but yeah, this is the time to figure it out. Maybe he's fine out there. I mean, he is a supreme athlete. His defense at second base has been phenomenal. He can fly around the bases as we have seen. So he is a plus plus athlete. It's not like, you know, you mentioned like Evan Gaddis has stood out there at times. Like, it's not like he's, we're asking Matt Olson to play left field here. Um, but if you have a couple of weeks to see what you have, I think this is going to be something that ultimately plays itself out and kind of solves itself. Um, but you have Vaughn, maybe even Contreras is a good enough athlete to stand out there. Although I worry a little bit about that just because of the, uh, the risk of catcher injury. You don't want to you know, play God by uh, injuring yeah. a couple of catchers this late in the year. But again, in a weird scenario, he could be talking about Contreras. He could probably stand out there for a few innings if you needed him. Yeah, I, that, I agree. I'm glad you said that because I mentioned Matt just say that earlier. I, I don't think the Contreras playing left field on a regular basis is going to happen. That is more of a you just kind of have to do something in terms of like guys are unavailable, or maybe you're in the playoffs and you just got to get his bat in there and Ronnie can't run or something like that. You know what I mean? Like I think for the most part, if you're gonna play Contreras, you're gonna DH Contreras. Like there's no beyond catching of course there's uh i think there's a very slim path for him to play left field but again he's done it before um was that last year or two years ago i can't remember when they, when they tried him in the in left field like a very brief sample size like so he's at least yeah. done it he won't be good out there i'm pretty confident but they've at least done it enough to where maybe if you have to stick him out there it's totally fine but i i totally agree with you they're not gonna i'd be surprised if that was a, a part of the plan i think that that's a that's an emergency option whereas grissom could legitimately be playing out there in games that matter without without like other things going wrong i think Contreras is like only playing left field if like three other things go wrong <laughs> uh or something like that i don't know like one of the one of them being uh ronnie can't run or something so yeah unfortunate it's uh it's also worth noting here um the braves signed uh, jake marisnik to a minor league deal earlier in the week this kind he's, of he's been around forever too like he he, he's a good glove guy, right? I believe that's I believe that's the case. Yeah, Marisnik, he plays a solid, uh, solid defense. He had, um, well, he had one season uh, with Houston when the uh, cheating scandal was happening, in which he was a good hitter. Um, although, if you know what pitches are coming, you generally are going to hit the baseball a little bit better. Um, since then, I mean, he is a below average offensive option. He is a decent outfielder. Again, I, I have a hard time seeing a scenario where Jake Marisnik is starting games for a very, very good Braves team. But uh, it's worth noting as we hit the kind of news and notes portion of the pod, they signed him. He's in triple a, I would be surprised if we ever see Jake Marisnik, but nonetheless, he is a big leaguer who, I mean, he was in the world series a couple of years ago. So. Yeah. That's a useful uh, depth addition. As, as a reminder, like you, once the roster, like once the trade on passes now, there's no waiver deadline. Like if you have, let's just say you have three injuries. You just need guys in Gwinnett you can call up and that will not embarrass you. Like that's, uh, Anthopolis has done a good job the last two years of just like making sure there was enough depth in key, in key areas to fill out the roster if you have a disaster happen. And Marisnik is a great addition through that lens. Like he's what, your seventh outfielder? 
like that's that's fine like if he is uh if he never plays that's fine like they obviously don't want to play heredia either like they're obviously they keep choosing to not play heredia at any time basically other than like in the ninth inning for defense so uh maybe he's just that kind of level player but i agree with you on that that's a nice uh nice little addition uh darren o'day one of the 68 60 day il i don't think he's gonna pitch anymore if i had to guess i think o'day is gonna be around around for the season uh as a veteran but i don't think he's gonna pitch anymore so i guess yeah they, they kind of uh i laughed the first time that he was uh with air quotes injured uh because they just needed a roster spot i forget who it was for but yeah um it, I mean, he's, he's 39 like yeah. i actually you know, when they they did that deal uh, was it wasn't non it was a very small like maybe even non-guaranteed contract and honestly he hasn't been that bad like his era is like four which is not good but he's not like completely terrible but the fact that he's 39 and he's kind of a platoon guy at this point and they have enough bullpen depth uh, having the roster spots almost more important. And I think they probably understand that with him. He's probably on board with it. I would imagine on some level, maybe he's actually hurt. I don't know. We'll see, but maybe um, he is. 39 yeah. he, he's been injured. I mean, I I'm joking about the fake injury thing. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's not, but as you noted, I mean, there's just so many arms in the bullpen right now. And in, in a postseason scenario too, you don't need five starters. You need four, so you get another bullpen option. So I guess you keep him around. Maybe in some weird scenario, he's back. But I think we're on the right track here. For sure. And they have Kirby Yates to kind of be the more high upside option of that uh, that archetype as a veteran. So there you go. Um, beyond that, Mike Soroka um, was actually technically reinstated from his rehab assignment and then optioned back to Annette. I don't think that he is particularly close to starting the major leagues, if I had to guess, but uh, he is still healthy and around and people kind of always ask us and more specifically Eric about like when Mike's going to come back. Um, number one, there isn't anywhere to put him right now in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I think that yes, ideally in his best form, he is better than uh, Jake Odorizzi. No one's saying otherwise, but we don't know if he's anywhere close to that form at this point in time. Maybe they'll try Mike in the next few weeks, but in terms of 2022 playoffs, I still think I am skeptical that he will help them but uh i'm not ruling it out either he's obviously been close enough to pitching one at i just wanted to say that out loud like i'm not i'm not piling on mike i promise you we're all rooting for mike soroka but he hasn't pitched in so long in a game that matters that it's september 4th like if they're going to do it they got to try him like in the next two weeks basically yeah there's as we've talked about now I, i think it's just about getting him healthy getting him through the mental and physical hurdles that he's having to face right now but uh Never say never. I think the last oh, no. twelve plus months have have taught us all to never count anything out with the with the Braves. But you know, as as we talked about a little bit earlier on the podcast, you're not in a postseason scenario. You're not starting Mike over Freed or Strider or Morton or Wright. Nope. Um, I mean, unless I mean, I'm knocking on wood. Short of like catastrophic injury, I just don't see any kind of path for it. Uh, but again, this is uh, quite obviously a very pro Mike Soroka podcast, and hopefully we're able to get him back on the mound uh, next season. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so the roster is 28. They have some flexibility there. It used to be 40, of course. Now it's 28, and they've uh, expanded that. They have some guys that are around for extras, and we'll get into that if we need to later on this month. Um, before we get to the schedule for this week, uh, we said at the top that the Braves are within one game of the Mets because the Mets uh, conveniently lost back-to-back days to the uh, hapless Washington Nationals. Thank you very much to the Nationals for rising up over the weekend and winning. Um, 
538 is now projecting the Braves with a 31% chance to win the division. That's the highest it's been in a while. And as a reminder from last week, and the week, I think maybe the week before that as well, yes, they're down by one game, but functionally in the way that it's like projected, the Braves are down by two games because they have to sweep the Mets in that last series to actually win the tiebreaker, which uh, no matter what you think about the Mets, it's not likely the Braves sweep them. It's possible for sure, but you cannot project they, a, a sweep of a really good team. So that is why it's a little bit still uh, less favorable to the Braves than you might think with only a one-game deficit because it's basically two right now. But still, 538 and Fangraphs both projecting 100 wins for the Braves. Uh, 100 wins has not happened for the Braves in quite some time. So that would be nice that they could actually get there. Um, anything else like to react to that? Obviously, the, we've talked about the uh, Mets schedule ad nauseum, and it still is quite easy, but in the can't predict baseball way, they lose back to that game to the Nationals. That's a reminder that you can lose to anybody. Huh. Yeah. Shout out Washington Nationals. I kind of joked and made fun of their lineup before Sunday's game. I'm like, how is this the same team that when that won the world series less than three years ago? Like I legitimately didn't know like five out of the nine guys in their lineup. Naturally baseball being baseball, they scored seven runs today and beat the Mets. So big tip of the cap to the Washington nationals, never in doubt. Um, Yeah. I mean, that, that was a huge, huge favor they did for the Braves this weekend. Definitely. And uh, I think I said this last week or maybe with you the last week before that, uh, the Braves are basically playing at a level in terms of regular season baseball, win loss record, Pythagorean record, underlying metrics. They are playing as well as they have played in 20 years. The last Braves team that had this run differential was 1998. The last Braves team that won a hundred games. I was in high school, 2003. So like, I'm not saying that this team is, you know, better than any team like that, but uh, they are playing objectively at a much higher level right now than they played at a year ago and they won the World Series last year. So it is one of those just funny things that we talk about all the time. They're always kind of regularly like it is very possible this team is just flat out better than last year's team and they might not win the division and they might not win the World Series. It's just uh, it's a weird, weird thing because the Mets have been playing so well, but this is a hundred, this is a hundred win team right now. That's how well they're playing. That's really good. Yeah, no, this team is loaded. I mean, you you just look one through 28 now on the roster, and that doesn't even include Ozzie Albies, who's been a, a all-star level player for five years now. I mean, th- this roster is stacked. We talked earlier about the crazy run they are on, best record in the majors for three-plus months now. And, uh, Brad, we should probably talk as a reminder about the importance of winning the division um, as we all know and hope for, of course, you want to win the division. You, that's the opening goal of the season every year. And then you make your deep run in October. Uh, but this year, winning the East is going to be very, very important with how the, the playoff bracket is going to shake out. Yeah, I mean, you got to be able to position yourself basically to avoid the worst run. Like, look, we're a year away from the Braves doing something that was considered to be largely unthinkable. So we're not saying this is going to be the end all be all, but uh, it's a lot better if you win the division and don't have to play the best teams every round, basically like you obviously want to avoid the Dodgers. I know they beat the Dodgers last year before anybody tells us otherwise we, we understand they beat the Dodgers last year. The Dodgers are on paper, the best team in baseball. So you don't want to have to play them if you don't have to, or we, and if you do, you want to play them in the NLCS. That would be great. Uh, if you avoid playing the Dodgers and the Mets both in the playoffs, that'd be nice. So like there are very there are multiple reasons to win the division beyond just hanging the banner for winning the division, which is also nice. You just want to win it to win it, but also playoff wise, it 
um, very clearly improves your odds to win the World Series if you win the division. That's kind of yeah. that's the big picture takeaway. It does. And with the new, as a reminder, there's a new playoff format. So there are six teams now from each league, which I know, Brad, you just love. Um, love expanded the, playoffs in baseball. Love it. Favorite thing. Love it. Um, but, you know, as, as if folks aren't familiar, the one and two seeds, so the two best division winners, are going to get the first round bye. I don't have to tell anyone how fluky of a game baseball can be if you can avoid having to play a best of three, even if the Braves are a decidedly better team than the Milwaukee Brewers, the Philadelphia Phillies, the San Diego Padres. Uh, Weird things can happen in a best of three series. So not only do you get the first round by if you win the division and become the two seed, but the way the bracket is going to shake out the National League East team that does not win the division, so the Braves or the Mets, are a virtual lock to be the number one wild card team, which is the four seed. The four seed is going to play the five seed, which is the number two wild card, but that team then has to go on to play the Dodgers in the NLDS. So you're talking about a difference of either having to face both the Dodgers in the NLDS after playing a best of three. And then if you do beat the Dodgers, you are more than likely going to see the New York Mets in the NLCS compared to if you win the division and you are the two seed, you're going to get the winner of the three versus six, a team that has just had to play three very highly competitive games. So you're going to have the advantage in terms of rest and being able to line up your pitching staff and then you get to watch more than likely the Dodgers and the Mets claw each other's eyes out for five games. And if you win in the NLDS, then you're going to get a very worn out New York or L.A. team. Um, as you noted, baseball is weird. We, we talk about this and it'll end up being the, the San Francisco Giants in the World Series or something crazy like that. But you're playing the odds. You want to make it as easy of a path as you can possibly have. So, again, the, the division title is very, very valuable this year. Very, very valuable. And, uh, yeah, even with the kind of built-in projection that the Braves are not favored to win the division, they still have like a 10% chance to win the World Series, which is actually – it may not sound like a lot, but that is uh, a pretty lofty percentage in these in these models in terms of September for a team that's not winning this division. That's pretty, pretty healthy. That's like top five in baseball kind of level because I think all the numbers will tell you this is a really good baseball team. It would still be helpful if they were to win the division. And like I said before, at the very, very top of this podcast, they have not been within a, a game of the division lead in about six weeks, and that was for exactly one day. So they uh, are in the best uh, spot they've been in for a very long time. Um, obviously, they need to take care of business this week. It's actually a fairly favorable schedule in terms of off days and opponents over the next seven days. There are three, count them three, Scott Coleman late night specials. So if you are a uh, an East Coaster that likes to go to bed early, you're in some trouble this week. My apologies, but you can rely on batterypower.com and also uh, Sean Coleman on Daily Hammer to catch you up. And also Scott, I'm sure we'll be recapping these games, but the Braves play in Oakland and the Braves play in Seattle this week. It's two games in Oakland, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, then they have Thursday off and they play Seattle three times on the road. Now the Mariners are good. I'll say that. The Mariners are a good baseball team. I know they haven't been for a long time. The Mariners kind of famously had the longest playoff drought and all that stuff. Um, but the Mariners are uh, a playoff team. 
They're 75-58 right now. They've won six games in a row. So that's, that series is not favorable like the way that you would think about it being uh, traditionally. Uh, the A's are bad, so that's that's helpful. But I uh, just want to say that, PSA, if you don't follow the American League at all, this is not your uh, older brother's Seattle Mariners. They're actually pretty good. Yeah, the Mariners, I think, have pretty strong vibes of like the Braves in 2018 where they have some young talent. It's a fun young easy team to root for so those should be three really good games in seattle over the weekend uh go ahead and put your pot of coffee on because they will be late nights i also just realized by the way they're playing as we speak so they're either going to win tonight or lose they're in the 10th inning against against cleveland so my record that i just said of them is going to change but uh no matter what they're still pretty good (laughs) yeah they're a good club julio rodriguez just signed like a crazy deal that could be like 18 years or something insane um yeah oakland is bad i mean we know that it's two games uh tuesday night is going to be a late night and they do have a day game on wednesday which is good Uh, i kind of hate the day off monday and day off thursday not having a game on labor day is a crime i need to speak to the manager of the schedule maker uh because that kind of sucks but again it's two days off this time of year i guess it's not the worst thing in the world uh, but similar to last year, you know, it's a late season West Coast trip. You have Oakland, you have Seattle, and then they go to San Francisco against a Giants team that has fallen off over the last couple of months, but they are still talented. So it's a uh, anytime you go out West, it's a little bit of a question mark. Like the Phillies just had a week from hell playing the Diamondbacks and the Giants. I think they went one and six this week on the West Coast. Uh, certainly hoping the Braves do a little bit better than that um, because they are going to see, as you noted, a good Seattle team. And then the following week, a a solid San Francisco club. Yeah. They have five late night games in the next eight or nine days. They play one late game in Oakland. They play two, two late games in Seattle on Friday and Saturday. And then uh, Monday and Tuesday next weekend in San Francisco are all late nights, which is Scott's prime time. But uh, again, if you, I, I, I definitely understand uh, especially in the regular season, if you are a Braves fan that cannot afford to stay up till 1 a.m., I don't blame you. Uh, we'll we'll be up. I'm a, I'm sort of an insomniac, and Scott is just three hours behind us all. But uh, we'll have full coverage, as always, on the podcast. But uh, it's pretty interesting games in the next week or so. And, uh, yeah, I think, actually, they seem to be avoiding the best of the Mariners starters, if I can see this on paper right now. I think they do not face, like, at least their absolute best guys, at least projecting forward. They don't have to face... Um, who they just get um, Luis Castillo, who is uh, who, who they just traded for from the Reds. He's been awesome. He's, and I think they're going to miss him, which is nice. But other than that, um, a challenging weekend series, but the A series, that's one where, yeah, I mean, maybe you, maybe you lose one there. It's just baseball, but um, it, that's one you want to get greedy and just take both. You can't expect to just like wallop the Mariners necessarily on the road, mm-hmm. but um, we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, Scott, I guess final thing, uh, how are we feeling? Cause I feel like big picture stock, with uh, the rest of the roster, as we talked about a second ago, kind of being loaded, they're bringing back, we, we talked about this earlier, and I kind of got reminded to look this up. Um, <laughs> this is so crazy. I feel like this is almost an afterthought right now, but uh, so I looked this up. So Scott, if I asked you how high on the second base Fangraphs war leaderboard Ozzy Albies has been since 2018, this is five seasons. This includes this year when he has not played very much. Five seasons. All of Major League Baseball, how high is Ozzy Albies on the second baseman war leaderboard? Hmm, good question. I will say he is number ooh, number three. He is number five. 
Mm. He would have been number four if uh, if you kind of don't look at the uh, plate appearances because he uh, the guy ahead of him is Jeff McNeil, who's not played a ton of second base. Um, uh, often he's been playing the outfield, also has a lot a lot smaller sample size. But uh, yeah, so obviously either four or five depending on where you set the levels. So my my point is the Braves are bringing back a consensus top five second baseman in all of baseball. And it's like an afterthought almost like we're talking about it, but like, I, I I think it's because of Grissom being awesome, which is certainly justified. He's been, he's been great, but like, it should be a bigger deal that Ozzy Albies is almost back. <laughs> like Ozzy Albies is a pretty much a fringe star. Like he's a really, really, really good player. And uh, I know he was not good this year before he got injured. There's no reason to think he's like going to be bad now. He's 25 years old. So like yeah. you're bringing back like a, huh. if you don't think, if you don't think it's a superstar, I, I get that. But like a fringe star, you know, four win level player as just like an addition uh, to to quote Chip Carey, Scott. It's like making a trade in September. Oh, there it is, baby. So I wanted uh, that. I wanted no, that. you're right. I mean, it, it speaks to how good Vaughn has been. If if uh, Orlando Arcia and uh, Ira Adrianza were making starts at second base every day, I think we would like literally be counting down the days until <laughs> Ozzy was back. And now That's it's true. like... Heck yeah, we're gonna get Ozzy back, but uh, you know, take your time, man. Like, get your, you know, get your reps in. Make sure you're feeling good physically. Have him see a lot of pitching in AAA. Get him back. Maybe he returns after the weekend series against the Mariners, or maybe they even just have him stay on the East Coast for the entire week and bring him back once the Braves return to Truist the following weekend. But yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, this lineup again, man, it's just loaded. I mean, one through 28, it is so, so good. Uh, you mentioned it doesn't have Ozzy Albies. It doesn't have Ian Anderson, who has been struggling in Gwinnett. But I mean, you're talking about a guy who threw a five inning no hitter in the World Series 11 months ago. And he's not even like in the general thought of how you're going to construct your team over the next month. So. It's a uh, it's not a problem, but it's a good problem to have, and it's going to be a really great race. I I know, I think it's just man, the Mets are just so unlikable. Like I, I don't know how you <laughs> feel about this, but like every day I see so like I, like Brandon Nimmo annoys me. I don't like Jeff McNeil. I think Pete Alonso is kind of a doofus, um, and then like the Edwin Diaz uh, narco trumpet song. Like get over yourselves. You you don't have exclusivity on a song that you, you know, like, is it, is it Edwin playing the trumpets in the bullpen before he comes out? It's just, if there was any doubt that the Mets and Braves rivalry had been renewed, uh, this next month is going to be a ton of fun. And hopefully um, in my head, I thought the final series of the weekend was the Braves and the Mets at Truist. It's actually not Uh, the Braves have to go on the road to play the Marlins for three. And then the Nat and then the uh, Mets return home to play the nationals. Yeah. That was Um, a, uh, that was a uh, work stoppage driven scheduling change. Cause I believe it was supposed to end with the Mets and they had to, they had to push that Marlins series because they were supposed to play into October. Like it's October 5th is the last day of the season. That was not, that was not the plan until they had to rejigger the schedule. So yeah, kind of weird. And they're all like mid afternoon games that day. So uh, yeah, so that was something I missed myself, and I think probably other people didn't realize. I, in my head, that Sunday at Truist against New York was the final game of the season, or the regular season at least, and it that's not. not the case. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about how good the Braves have been. I believe they were 10 and a half games back when they started this crazy run, and now they are one game back. As you noted, it's the closest they have been in about six weeks, and uh, hopefully they're able to keep closing the gap and get into first place once and for all. Um, as we talked about, it's not like the Braves can't make a deep run 
if they aren't the division winners, but let's, let's ruin uh, the day for the Mets a little bit and win a fifth division in a row and then set <laughs> yourself up really, really nicely for October. And there you have it. Yeah. They were 10 and a half games back. It seems like a lifetime ago. It was like, it was exactly what, three months ago, basically. So uh, a lot's changed in three months. All right, Scott, anything to plug on the way out here as we get into, uh, you know, almost Labor Day here on the, uh, on the East coast. Yeah. Thanks to everybody for tuning in a lot of good coverage on uh, both batterypower.com and here on the podcast network. We really appreciate all of the support. Should be a really fun month ahead and always good to do one of these with you, Brad. You as well, sir. Uh, like you just said, uh, I would certainly appreciate it. I, I Scott Wood as well as Eric and Chris and everybody else. Please subscribe to the podcast network. If you've not done that already, we really appreciate uh, that for sure. Also, five-star ratings and reviews. Um, download old podcasts. That's also very helpful if you want to just do the best possible way to support the show, clicking around on old shows, downloading, listening, sharing with friends, all that fun stuff, as well as clicking on stuff on the site, batterypower.com. Read everything that's written there. And honestly, you know, I don't do really any of it, so I can say this without too much bias. It is a fantastic, overarching look at the Atlanta Braves from sunup to sundown, basically from previews and game thread stuff and recaps to analysis, uh, new stuff. Everything is uh, all in one place, batterypower.com. Check that all out as well. Um, for Scott, for myself, and everybody else in the podcast network, enjoy your Labor Day and hopefully a break from something that's going on. And uh, we'll see you all next time.